Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder clinic in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist at Opal, an artist and a writer. Today, Julie Church, nutrition director and dietitian at Opal, joins us to talk about why you really should not be starting a diet, even though maybe you're leaning towards some sort of weight goal, diet goal, lifestyle goal, right as the new year begins. So, Julie, can you tell us a little bit about um, why you would caution very strongly against starting a diet? Definitely. I am just, I'm so inundated right now by so many of the messages out there telling us that that's the next best thing for this new year. So yes, I can definitely talk about that. <laughs> um, I The first thing that comes to my mind, obviously coming from the work that I do within the eating disorder world, is that I just have heard over and over how many times the suggestion of a diet or starting diet at a young age or just dabbling a little bit uh, led people to develop eating disorders. And the statistics actually back that up. Um, so, you know, I come even from the, I guess, from that start, just the extreme of thinking dieting can lead to eating disorders. <laughs> and yeah. I see what eating disorders do. Um, and so nobody wants to enter into that. The statistics say that those who diet moderately, which I would say that's, that's just like the general dieter, is five times more likely to develop an eating disorder. And then those who restrict extremely, so that's maybe somebody who's really diving into a more extreme diet, um, would be 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder. Wow. Those numbers are huge. Yes. Huge. Mm -hmm. I actually am really curious about the sense of a moderate dieter. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> I bet a lot of people listening maybe have fallen into that category sometimes mm -hmm. without maybe even noticing because dieting and lifestyle changes as, as the language is these days um, can look a lot of different ways. Could you explain a little bit what you imagine when you hear moderate dieter? One of the things that comes to my mind is that it might not be that a person is underfeeding themselves extremely. So they're eating meals, they're eating throughout the day. Um, maybe they aren't eliminating a whole food group, uh, mm -hmm. you know, eating no carbohydrates, no macronutrient group, they're eliminating something like that might be more moderate. So instead, they're still coming to the table and eating, but they're just having a little less, or maybe they are counting their carbohydrates or they're counting their fat grams or, um, and then they are then decreasing that amount of those things. So I would say that that's moderate dieting. And then I would say maybe the extreme restriction is the way that the statistics named it. I would say is maybe more that like elimination of a whole food group or the skipping of meals, mm -hmm. Um, not eating throughout the day, perhaps maybe more the the fasting model, which I know right now has some trend around that, right? Of length of hours between eating every day. Yeah, the long, intermittent yes, fasting. Yes. So I would put that in the extreme restriction. Okay. So when you talk about the moderate versus the more extreme dieter, what, like, who are those people? Can you tell us a little bit about like how many people are dieting? Hmm. Well, some stats that talk about teens specifically um, show that 62% of teen girls are trying to lose weight and that 29% of teen boys are trying to lose weight. And that 
maybe some of them are actively dieting. It shows that 59% of the teen girls are actively dieting. So they would be saying they're dieting. Um, and 28% of the teen boys are doing the same. And interestingly enough, the same study shows that uh, about equal number of teen boys and girls, about 50% of them use exercise to control weight. So that's one of the main things that they'd be using. And, you know, other means of controlling weight might be fasting, skipping meals, smoking cigarettes, uh, vomiting, or using laxatives, which of course I would think of as very specifically eating disorder behaviors, but even just in the midst of dieting, some teens would just report, oh yeah, sure. I just throw up my food sometimes, you know, not thinking that that was an eating disorder. So, Okay. So tell us a little bit about um, why why diets are bad. <laughs> okay. Straightforward So other question. than that you can develop an eating disorder yeah, if you dive that, into that. Other than that. If okay. that weren't to happen. Okay. I mean, what's going to happen anyway? Okay. Right? So, <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> not to downplay that, but no. in terms of the leap from like yeah. someone that's dieting sometimes to an eating disorder, I could imagine some people are like, well, I mean, that wouldn't yeah. be me. So Absolutely. what would the signs be of an issue developing? Yeah. yeah. So... What I see diets doing more than anything is just taking away an individual's trust in their own body. And maybe trust sounds luxurious. I don't know. But I think in this day and age, our bodies are still such a grounding place. And so what I see when somebody diets is that then they are pulled away from their own body's cues. And the the one safe grounding place to come back to when everything else around them is telling them to do this or sending them in a different direction. And I guess, how does that happen? So I'd love to kind of have you sort of think through this sort of storyline a little bit um, of a particular person who chooses to diet and maybe track with me here and see how that wears away at the trust. Okay. So I think you could envision a teenager or you could envision an adult, uh, but somebody who has been somebody who has eaten with ease in their life. They've uh, been able to come to the table, eat what looks good, leave behind what isn't, enjoy food, just kind of move through life with food being something that is of some importance. And they begin a diet of some sort. And I would say even just a moderate diet. And so they start to think more uh, intentionally. They start to make changes in those patterns. They start to override what their body and their mind might be leading them to do with food. And then in that season, it could be weeks. Honestly, for some, I think it could be just a few days. But let's go with a few weeks. Um, In that few weeks, there is the choosing at times to eat less than what their body maybe is telling them to, or choosing to say no, say no to some foods out there that they wouldn't have normally, and maybe say yes to some different foods that they historically have said they didn't like or um, didn't know how to cook or haven't been familiar with, okay? In the midst of that, there's a lot more thought about food, and there is um, definitely times where they are underfeeding themselves in terms of total nutrition. So calories, carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and then also just not meeting their maybe urges and desires like that might be more connected to their emotions and their thoughts. And I would say so that goes on for a few days, a few weeks um, with maybe even a sense of sort of a high, right? Like, wow, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. This feels good. Accomplishment of it, maybe. Yeah. And uh, then something happens and they end up not following through with what they're supposed to quote unquote be doing. That's out of line with this diet. And then they eat in such a way that they feel out of control. 
or they feels really chaotic. It could be that they're also doing it in secret and they're feeling shameful about it. Uh, and maybe for some, they actually would say that, whoa, I just, I just binged. I just overate. And I see that that pattern of then coming from a place of that restriction and that restrain that they were following through in their dieting time to then eat in that way. So much uh, people will say that I, I am out of control with food. And the thing that gets lost in that is that we are human, therefore we eat. Mm -hmm. And so that human being has cells that are telling the brain and every part of their body to go and find food. Then they end up doing that and they have the psychological sort of cycle that comes back to them and, and kind of hits them in the face because of all the cultural pressures and all the things they've known about, oh my goodness, I just overate. But really they just needed food. Right. And they're biology was saying it's time go get yes, some yes so yeah. but then this identity formation happens right that i i am out of control with food and that's what i have heard so much in my office when people say i'm out of control with food i overeat i'm chaotic i binge i just want to stop and go okay tell me about your other patterns with food what are you trying to do what diet have you been trying to follow what are your eating disorder rules that you've been trying to follow that have led you to then engage with food in this way that is just for survival and i don't want to stop with that belief that I am out of control with food. I think they're just actually being really, really thoughtful and needing to meet their needs. Even though it goes against maybe the impulse of what they're, or it's following an impulse rather than going along with the cognitive decision that was made around what rules they were going to follow about their diet. Yes, yes. This right. reminds me a little bit of um, our conversation with Tam O'Donnell mm -hmm. on our podcast um, a few months ago talking about like, can you really trust your body? And that question just keeps coming up, I think, when we mm -hmm. talk about diets, because I don't know if most people do assume that those impulses are okay. Mm -hmm. um, so if that impulse to eat is there, mm -hmm. it can be interpreted really quickly as, you know, I'm suddenly out of control and I just am craving that thing so much and that's so bad instead of, I probably didn't get enough of that earlier mm -hmm. and my body's telling me to grab it. Yeah. Yeah, I especially feel the, uh, like within a family system where there might be parents or very close people that are telling a young person that they're wrong in the decisions they're making with food when they are just following their urges is, is one of the things that I believe interrupts the natural appetite and attunement that our bodies are born with. Uh, because course, when we're young and we look up to these people that are telling us who we, you know, just helping us understand this world, why wouldn't we also take their advice and their thoughts about our own body and how it might work too? Yeah. So that's. Can you spell that out a little bit more in terms of what comments you would maybe mm -hmm. imagine mm -hmm. an adult saying that mm -hmm. a kid or a teen could pick up on? Yeah. I think it's as simple as, are you going to eat more of that? Or you don't need any more of that. Or um, did you just eat all that? Like, I think even just those kind of comments make the question of, wait, maybe I wasn't supposed to. And then I do think that just I've been around mother, daughters before, even those that have been on Weight Watchers actually at the time together. Um, I have a memory distinctly and them talking about, well, you know now that this is that many points and how this will play out for the rest of the day if you so choose to order that. 
um, I'm having a distinct memory in a restaurant one time. So, you know, I think the the actual direct conversation also around maybe intentional dieting that is starting to be like, let's do this together and let's help each other. I mean, then it's really overt and it's very specific. Mm-hmm. And someone's having to choose the relationship in that moment over maybe what their body's saying. Mm. I can think about like so many different people maybe joining up on a diet with someone yeah. or as a yeah. change together. Definitely. And you're overriding your own cues in order mm. to be connected and stay in on this project together or something mm. like that. And mm. then I imagine there's often a backlash. So um, – Interesting that you mentioned Weight Watchers because Weight Watchers is doing a ton of new stuff in their marketing of their program. And they've gone from Weight Watchers actually to something called WW Freestyle, which sounds like a rap or a a wrestling wrestling match for BMX biking, maybe? Yeah. Or something? I don't know. Freestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily about weight and and measurements anymore mm-hmm. in the yeah. in the way that it used to be. Yeah. That is something else. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, they, I think they've been slowly and subtly trying to say we are not a diet. And then they were more direct, I think, in the last few years, right? Saying that this is no longer a diet. Yeah. And I bet uh, plenty of people are really celebrating that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is not just about like mm-hmm. body shaming or, you know, there's I think that the body positive movement has infiltrated so many different parts of our more mainstream culture right now that I can see Weight Watchers picking up on this. And some might assume that that's a wonderful way to... Mm-hmm think more positively about the body, but right. it's kind of more a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh-huh. It does feel like they're still disguising a diet underneath what they're doing and not to my sense is they're still not acknowledging the risk that they are putting all of their members under and into um, while these people take the step into dieting. Mm. So, yeah. I think it's striking um, still every time I see Oprah on some commercial mm-hmm. as one of the most powerful women in the world. Yeah. And to have her as a voice around the need to be controlling your weight is striking and confusing and also enraging, I think, mm-hmm. as a professional in this field. It's enraging. But I, I mean, I still see her face and think, how are we all missing something? Mm-hmm. Like, why Why are you doing Weight Watchers commercials? Yeah. Still. <laughs> it does not line up with what I know. I know of her otherwise. Yeah. And I, I know that our, you know, the eating disorder world, the body positivity, um, health at every size movement has definitely spoken directly to Oprah, but also directly to um, WW Freestyle or Weight Watchers. I think that what's interesting is that the, the fact that she's such a public figure, people can see that, okay, so even with all the resources, all the knowledge, all the information, perhaps even this form of dieting within the context of a program like Weight Watchers still has the same results that the statistics say, right? So every research study and statistics out there, nobody disagrees on the science around dieting that dieting doesn't work. of dieters will regain weight and more. Gosh, my eyebrows just shot right up. There's... Yeah. I mean, it's... Nobody disagrees with that. Nobody disagrees with that. So then because of that, I think then something like a Weight Watcher is trying to say this isn't a diet, but it still is 
in the definition of what it is because you're still going to be restricting one's calories and especially because it's a weight focused goal. That's a diet. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a diet. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's I mean it's I feel ambivalent even mentioning Oprah and talking about I her know. body in this objectifying way, but her body has been in dis- on display for mm. decades now mm. and her cycle of weight loss and weight gain and weight loss mm. and weight gain has been on display and I think in a lot of ways um that's you know of course why she's probably the spokesperson. But it also is a wonderful reason to believe that the dieting's not working. You know, if she's been yeah. so obsessed with this and it's not working, it's still not working, I likely. Know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, one of the things about Weight Watchers that I was especially appalled with this last summer, um, when they started the rebranding and they released that they were going to give 10 million memberships for free to teenagers last summer. It caused quite a stir and is still gets me riled up because, again, that is it is starting the story I told earlier, like that timeline of this person that's trusting one's body and then dives into dieting and then has the impact of the way that it impacts the way they think about their body and how it works or how it doesn't work. They may have just started that for 10 million teenagers. And I can't ever get behind that. I mean, it is so, so sad to me. And when I think about free, too, I wonder about who is that? Who are the people that are looking at something like that and say, oh, it's free. It's a free program. And so I also think that it targets those that also may be lower socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. And that also feels really concerning to me that that's um, a place where they would target their marketing to try. Because guess what? It's not free forever. No. And then you're stuck. When my belief is that our bodies have the answer and and that's free. (laughs) Yeah. Our bodies have the answer to figure out how and when to eat and Mm -hmm. what to eat and also what weight to be. And that, of course, is at the center of this issue is that people don't necessarily believe that they can be whatever weight they are naturally. Sure. Oprah said something recently like that there's some sort of spiritual question around weight loss and that that might be – one of the missing pieces if weight loss hasn't happened. Mm. And um, it it is sort of a sick thing to kind of think about those two things in combination of, of both hooking people into this process and both telling them that your body's not okay. And also, if you do work on it in this way, there might be some sort of spiritual quest for you within it. Mm. And I, you know, I certainly have been in touch with myself more spiritually when I am more attuned to my body. Mm-hmm. And moving more or thinking maybe a little bit more about like, oh, have I eaten? Should I, like, I'm hungry. Okay, what's this? But like, Mm -hmm. I, when those questions are asked, that's good. I'm Mm -hmm. feeling more grounded. When I'm not, I'm definitely more out of touch and probably more spiritually out of touch as well. But then to think that to control and bring yourself into the fold of needing to change your body in order to kind of have some sort of greater spiritual capacity or I don't know. It doesn't feel right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I I think the word identity that I was using earlier, you know, I think that the spiritual realm is a dimension where we can continue to kind of develop more of who we are and, and have a sense of where we fit into the bigger picture of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I can, I think in that I can, I can see, I can see why, yes, there is a spiritual element to it. I just also fear that if there's an ideology affiliated with kind of that quest, it feels concerning to me. 
Yeah. So one of the things that um, I also noticed on the Weight Watchers website were just like tons of images of food that actually looked really delicious. Mm -hmm. Things that looked more homemade, things Mm. that had more vibrancy, Mm. um, more color, texture. Yep. Um, A couple of things that you'd maybe see on like an Instagram post of the (laughs) like perfect avocado toast or something um, that is in the wellness world, but also kind of the foodie world. There was a big picture of... um, this whole fun looking group of people out in a park, like sharing this big feast around a table. And it, I mean, it looks fun and it looks communal. And I I think that that is um, a, a lovely goal to have food that feels like fun and exciting and communal and all those things. But to think about people actually counting calories or, or feeling like they need to, um, be more in control in order to have that, I think we get back to that identity issue. Because if there's suddenly a message that like you can't control, then maybe maybe you are also in this fear of beginning to believe that you can actually participate in community in the right mm-hmm. ways or participate in beauty with food or connection to food in the right ways because you're so bad and out of control. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that comes to my mind when you say that, too, is that our own food relationships are so unique. And right. So if we think about our own family systems we're a part of or our cultures or our cities, our different communities, uh, if it's a work or hobbies or whatever, I would say, right, there's different food cultures that come out of that, too. And any type of prescribed diet is going to somehow get people into some sort of a, a more universally right pocket of how you should eat. And that's one of the concerning part about it too is so, yes, of course, those pictures of people communing and eating are so wonderful, but wow, how much does dieting pull people away from being able to eat with in their actual natural community? So if it's, you know, the, the foods that are most natural for their own cultural and ethnicity uh, and family system to create, I just think of that so often those foods get demonized. Yeah. And how does though how do those fit in and how do you continue to express who you are within your own culture and family if those things fill up all your points for the day? <laughs> I was I was actually reading an article on um Huffington Post's Black Voices segment um uh, maybe a couple months ago talking about how all of, all of the like wellness foods look like white people foods. Totally. And talking about some of the more um, soul food, Mm -hmm. cultural foods of the black community, not really having a place within the sort of wellness world. And then what does that mean? Really exactly what you're speaking to, that you suddenly can't participate Mm -hmm. or it looks like you can't. Yeah. And that in and of itself is this exclusivity Mm -hmm. and um, idealization of a particular culture too. Mm -hmm. It's striking to me to think about a lot of people maybe considering a diet or some sort of a lifestyle change around this time of year because they have been maybe with family a lot. And I'm sure everybody's messages at home are really different, but one of the ones that I imagine happening for a lot of people potentially is, oh my God, we just, we like just had a free for all. That was so much food. Like I need to just go home and like just really get back to my routine, get back to the basics, get, you know, I need a cleanse or, you know, Mm -hmm. like we just had so many things, so many sweets, so many this, so many that. And it's with this community piece, it's striking to think about like people leaving their families during that time 
um, and going back to their respective homes, whether they had a great time or not so great time, Mm -hmm. um, and finding control again Mm -hmm. and finding a bit of a um, a way to like bounce back and begin again. And I know that in my own life, when I've been with family, it. I'm like an introvert and I get overwhelmed. And when I was leaning more toward diet cycles when I was younger, that was an easy trap to get into because I was like, okay, my time now. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and find control and center again. And mm-hmm. even though I had a great time, it was an easy way to respond. Yeah. What, why is it, you know, is it because Aunt Susie has tons of pressure around eating her pecan pie and like how you need to eat that. And everybody has to. Yeah. Like, is there so much pressure around it that every, you know, is is it is that there's too much energy around that? This is the one time a year, Um, you know, because otherwise I think there's also a lot of joy in the seasonal foods and the connection and the tradition Mm -hmm. that comes along with the food. And why uh, why why do we have to leave with a bad taste in our mouth and a need to cleanse if there's been connection and history and there are other factors, right? And right. if there's a lot of the, the the food talk, like you were giving examples like of, oh, okay, we have just had so much, you know, <laughs> we need to do this. That is not helping our everyone, anyone's psyche uh, and ability to listen to their body. The metaphor that is available in a lot of that too of being with your family and leaving with a bad taste of your mouth. Like a lot of people don't have a good time and feel obligated to be there or get like teased or get, you know, just they just have a bad time with their yeah. family. Yeah. And so to uh, to then have some space to notice what is going on with your body, what's going on with your cravings, what's going on around like your own desire to control or change your way of eating after being with your family, I think <laughs> oh, is important yeah. to think about because yeah. you might have a bad taste in your mouth and suddenly just want to get back to basics and have a really like plain and simple diet suddenly. Or maybe you restricted the entire time you're with the, your family because they're so stressful and yeah. you're binging, you know, like yeah. it, it can all be yeah. Um, yeah. a way to learn how you're physically and emotionally, spiritually responding to the stressors of the holiday season to notice maybe where your mind goes when it comes to then controlling Mm -hmm. yourself or changing something about yourself when you get home. Yeah. And one thing I I guess I want to name too is that when someone is attuned and is maybe not as uh, strongly influenced by some of the cultural pressures around dieting and weight and such, the body does naturally allow for us to make some adjustments in that. So I think of, you know, when somebody's on the road traveling and they are eating out a lot and they they aren't able to be in a kitchen and they aren't cooking or whatever, the, the natural desire to come home and be like, oh, I can't wait for a home-cooked meal, mm-hmm. that actually is okay. I'm not, I, there's nothing about that that no. I would say is diety or restrictive. That's just that feels connected and is pretty natural to have those flows. So when I think about the holidays, if that is the scenario of that, there is less of your own hands in the mix around what's being served and to be able to come home and be like, Oh, I just can't wait to kind of be in my own environment and make the foods I'd like to have. That's so great. Like that in of itself, none of that is disordered. (laughs) And I guess I want to name that none of that has to be diety. 
uh, it's it's more of the sort of sense of urgency or like anxiety that comes with it. Um, and also a moralizing of that that was so bad. Uh, and this is going to be better for me, for my body, for my health, for my appearance. That piece is the that's where it becomes really bad territory and the diet world territory. But just naturally seeing the ebbs and flows of the way that we might be attuned to different kinds of food at different times based on access and things like that. Totally, totally normal. We are using a lot of language to, that sort of makes it sound like it's women. Mm-hmm. And it's not just women. It's men, too. Yeah. That's growing in the numbers as well. Is it? Yeah. That more men and boys are also being drawn to the diet world. I think historically, men were brought to diets more from a health perspective uh, because of heart disease or some sort of diabetes diagnosis or something like that. And so it would come from more of a medical um, need to make the change, quote unquote. And now because of the pressure around image and appearance that is coming from media images at young ages and just the emphasis on appearance that's out there for men and boys, it's now coming from the aesthetic desire to look yeah. a certain way to the pressures. I can imagine that some of the more lifestyle-focused diets might be more attractive to men as well. Like they can be marketed to maximizing strength and maximizing mm-hmm. productivity and all these things that are kind of more stereotypically um, in the masculine mm. wheelhouse of kind of what a man needs to be and what a man should act like. And so they can be marketed in a way that could really prey on on that vulnerability in men too. Mm-hmm. Like you should be counting your macros now because, you know, such and such is going to make you beef up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a different version rather than just sort of the like, just have rabbit food and get really tiny, yeah. you know? Totally. I, I wonder... I actually feel like I, I'm noticing my biases too, that my my sense of dieters, that men are more quote unquote successful for longer and that they can maintain a more restrictive diet longer is something that somehow I've learned that. And so now I'm like thinking in my head, I don't have the stats in front of me about that. I don't know the truth, but I, I have this bias that they somehow do it longer and are successful longer. Now, the the stats that I know with the big statistic of that dieters fail, that's that does not discriminate, right? Gender, race, age, location, around the globe, like that's they fail. everyone. Yeah. But yeah, there's something in my head that tells me that men can do it longer. Why is that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, one of the biases out there is that women lack emotional control. Mm. And so... To think about maybe there being, you know, the realm of food being more of a space around about emotion and and will. Men yeah. are thought to be stronger in will and, and stronger like, in self control. Yeah, but women are more attuned to their bodies, right? And themselves, I know, and so they're going to be no more likely to stop the freaking diet because <laughs> they're coming to their senses. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's it's. I imagine that some of these um, these marketing tools of the diets really do prey well on yeah. kind of the yeah. the feminine and the masculine qualities that we in our in our American Western culture decide we need to be. And so like there's a lot of violence against the attuned woman. There's a lot of violence against the vulnerable man. And so a diet is gonna be probably marketed to keep those things in line too. Just like so much in our culture. Barf. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. If you feel like you have any questions around what this dieting culture looks like, especially when it's so often in disguise, um, please feel free to reach out. Opal can be a really good resource, um, both in lectures or in programming too, if you feel like you need a little bit more help if you're struggling with more disordered behavior. Um, So check us out at www.opalfoodandbody.com. You can also follow along on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much to Jack Straw Cultural Center, to Aaron Davidson for our music, and to Large Media. Please join us next time. Thanks. Thanks.